Before Ben comes and shares with us, we're going to have uh, another time of worship. One new man from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Because of what Christ has done in us and through us, we can now come together as one. As one body here, as part of a family and a congregation that is one. And Paul there is talking about because of what Christ has done, the two groups come together, become one, and now live differently. He calls them later on citizens of heaven that live to a different standard, a different means, a different way of doing things. And we've been looking at that. And why? Why is that important? Why is that important to live well with each other? Just so we can say we get on well? There's got to be some purpose behind this. John 13, 34 and 35 says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We don't just seek to get on well as a loving family so we can just simply sit and enjoy it. When we shine that love towards one another, it tells the world that we follow Christ. It tells the world that there's something different. It tells the world that we're set apart. And it draws people to us because Christ is attractive. I may not be... Oh, okay. (laughs) I may not be, but Christ in me is beautiful. Is beautiful. Okay. Um, our love for one another needs to show to a whole world that we are followers of Jesus. We take that seriously here at Sullyor Christian Fellowship. We believe passionately that God has, a, has placed his finger upon this church to express that form of relationship in such a way that it will cause people to stop and ask, what's different about you? And I believe it. And it's what I am seeking for. It's what I'm praying to God for. I dare, I dare to say striding for. But that actually God would so shine out of me in the way we respond to each other that people say, whoa, that's different. I've not seen that before. Today you have experienced an expression of family. We have come together as one to celebrate the wonderful gift of Bethany Coleman. We celebrate the highs And we walk with the parents through their lows. It's part of being in that relationship with one another. So through this series, we've been looking at how we walk in relationship together. Why? Because we we know to live in the level of relationship God expects, it's going to be costly. It's going to be difficult and challenging. As a church body in relationship, we can keep a bridle on our tongue and only speak words that seek to build up and not tear down. As a body in relationship, we can forgive when we have truly been hurt, knowing that there is no room for unforgiveness in our hearts when we know and understand just what God has forgiven us for. We love our enemies to the point of opening our homes. We can only truly do this when we've opened our heart to God and allowed him to heal what was wounded some of the topics, some of the things that we have looked upon. And so we move on. This morning we're going to look at one of four practices, hopefully, that have been understood to enrich, to grow, and to deepen the sense of family and togetherness. Christine Deep Pope Ho wrote a book. She's, um, she's a, a philosopher 
and scholar in the, the UK, and she did a lot of research into what it's like to live into, into community. And she said there are four aspects that really enrich family. She used the word community. That's broader, that's fine. Four areas that enrich and grow and strengthen community. Gratitude, promise-keeping, truthfulness, and hospitality. Those are the four areas that, as the research is done, so when we as a group invest in those four areas, it just enriches that sense of community. And today we're going to look at promise keeping. Because we have a God of promise. Genesis 3.14 says, So the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The first promise of the Saviour to come. The first promise. 4,000 years later, depending on who you want to but, believe Jesus is born the start of the fulfillment of the promise 33 years later Jesus died for our sins the promise continues and Christ will return and defeat Satan the fulfillment of the promise still to come amen oh hold on there we go Exodus 6, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. If you look at Exodus 12, the hut. It was a 430 years they were in exile. 430 years. But God was true to his promise and brought them out. We have a promise keeping God. Genesis 18, the promise of Sarah. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Listen to this. Abraham was 75 when the promised was given to be that he would be a great nation. It was 85 when that was spoken over him, and he was a hundred, a hundred. How long? That's 25 years on before the promise started to come to pass, and he had that son. We have a promise keeping God. We have a promise keeping God. God keeps promises. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years. And a thousand years is of one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is not slack. The promises that you've received from God that are true and amen, he will bring to pass. He is a promise-keeping God. God promises, God promise-keeping keeps us going. Sometimes it's only because we know that God keeps his, keeps his promises that we can keep on. When we feel there is an injustice and we cannot overcome it, we can keep going on in the knowledge that God says, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time, there is Every purpose for every work. God will judge. Hebrews 10.30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. 
Sometimes when we feel there's been an injustice, when we feel we've been used wrongly and we can't see it changing, the fact that God keeps his promises sometimes is the only thing that keeps us going. John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans. Matthew 28, 20, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. God promises again and again. Revelation 22, 12, behold, I am coming quickly. Just as those promises sustain us, Because God is a promise-keeping God. We heard this morning with Simeon, God kept his promise. I wonder how long he lived afterwards, hey? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, did did, did he go home and say, right, I'll put everything in order, you know? But God kept his promise. You know, things that have changed in the way we keep our promises. My granddad, I do need to follow my stuff here. My granddad was one who kept his promises. Ben, your word is your bond. And sometimes to the detriment of what was going on in the family, we wouldn't do things because my grandfather understood the need to keep his promise. He understood it. It was his word. It was his oath. It was his promise. All of this was linked to the type of person we are, your character. My grandfather kept his word. Whatever he said he would do, he, whatever he said he would do, he did, no matter how tough it got. We would often lose out as grandchildren and not go places or not do things because granddad had made a promise and he was going to keep it. There's something deep and meaningful in that, that it feels like we have lost today. Poe, it, it, in her book, gives, gives an incredible example, a promise with Sacrifice. She, she read an interview, and the interviewer was interviewing, as they do, a lady who was 101 years old. This lady looked after her 89-year-old brother who had suffered multiple strokes, and her 89-year-old sister who had advanced Alzheimer's. When asked why she did this, she simply said this, I made a promise to the Lord that if he kept me able, I would care for them as long as I could. Neither sibling could talk, so the interviewer went on. If they could speak, what do you think they would say? She paused, looked up and then smiled and simply said, I think they'd say thank you. Promises are the internal framework for every relationship in every community. They are the hidden supports in a well-built house. Over 30 people today made a promise to make this morning work. They made a promise to go on a rotor, to prepare to turn up in enough time, to make today happen. And I suggest that that, that estimate of 30 people is low. We we, we, we work on the basis that people make and keep their promises. It doesn't work if people don't do that. However, the noble art of promise-keeping is under threat, partly because of this consumer-based society we live in with its hyped-up advertising. We often hear adverts that appear to, to be too good to be true. They're just too good to be true, You know, the the latest car wax that will make your scratches invisible. My goodness, as a young man with my nice car, did I spend lots of money on that. And I could always see them. 
I could always see them. And what is the well-known phrase? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. We have outrageous claims from politicians that we just think, gosh, it's laughable to think that they're going to do that. Diets that work in days, cleaning products that remove anything, car wax that causes scratches to disappear. We laugh when politicians make outrageous promises. We are familiar and comfortable with the legal system that will hold people to promises at the same time the ingenious ways they seem to be able to get out of them. Society is missing something that the people of God can bring and show and demonstrate. I promise. I promise. We have an opportunity to show the world how we are different and take it out to them, which would be a refreshing change when so many of the world's practices seems to be coming into the church. I promise in a community that we call family. When we get into the habit of making and keeping promises, it builds great trust, assurance. For you, the promisor, it demonstrates a deep character trait that is often likened to Christ. It speaks of loyalty, integrity. Is there anyone who wouldn't want to be known for that? Do you know, I hope I'm loyal. I hope I'm committed. I actually don't really know until I have the opportunity not to be. I hope I would die for Christ. I hope if somebody came in and said, renounce Christ or I'll kill you, I hope I would make the right answer. You only know if you're loyal when you have an opportunity not to be. Otherwise, it's very good intentions, desires. When we make a promise, we don't actually have to say the word, I promise. We are voluntarily obligating ourselves to, be for, to perform some future course of action, often for someone else's benefit. I make a promise. I need to take it seriously. This will help hold me when challenges come. I recognise that in most circumstances, the promise should be kept. That's what I do when I make a promise. And we need to be careful that our words don't become too cheap. Why don't we make promises? There was, I'm just going to read this out because it was too good to just try and say it myself. And it spoke of something that we see. Contemporary culture places a premium on individual freedom and the capacity to choose. We cherish the nearly unlimited choices we have about many things and we like to keep our options open. When we make a promise and commitments, we foreclose some of the good opportunities. This could be true of marriage, shopping for a house or a shirt, or joining a particular congregation. We hesitate to make the final decision because something better might be just around the corner. In a recent conversation with a young friend about promising, I realised how challenges in cell phone use and texting had become increasing, had increased our culture of choice and affected our friendship practices. She has a wide and cherished friendship net network, but she and her 20-something friends rarely make plans ahead of time to get together. They might tentatively suggest an even uh, an event or activity, but they don't firm up anything until the very last minute. Be- 
because they can check in with one another from wherever they are in the world at the end of the workday. At that point, they make a decision about whether or not to meet. While valuing the spontaneity that is possible with this approach, my friend also recognises that one could quickly get the impression that each friend was waiting to make sure he or she had the full range of options for that night laid out. Each was hesitant to commit the one thing or person only to find out a few minutes later that something else would have been better. Because our experiences of being chosen are as important to us as being able to choose. This has the potential to undermine the relationship in significant ways, and ironically, continually having opportunities to choose among an endless array of options is not necessarily best for us. In our finiteness, closing off some options can actually be a blessing. The culture of choice may also be a part of what stands behind the increasing difficulty in getting people to respond to invitations for major events. In the past, giving a timely answer to a formal invitation was understood as basic etiquette. But today, many people wait until, the, until very late to respond, if they do at all. A more tentative approach to relationships and commitments has a snowball effect. It becomes more and more difficult to plan group events and count on, partici count on participation because so many focus are up in the air until the last minute. The focus on multiple options may help explain why churches struggle with getting people to commit to and to stay with programs of any duration. One pastor's description of efforts to sustain a youth program in a moderate-sized church capsulates the challenge. She explained that many of the parents said that they really liked the program and found it valuable and vital for church and for their children. In most cases, however, sports practices, music lessons and school activity trumped scheduled youth group programmes. She observed families wanted the programme to be available to them when it suits the schedule but they don't seem to understand how difficult their unpredictable attendance and participation are for the youth programme itself. Clearly, this lady, speaking in the UK, is seeing a wide problem. And I wanted you to hear it from her and not from me, because that could describe us. As many other churches. Why don't we want to make a promise? We like to keep our options open. We like to keep our options open. What else? Something better? Or if we want to put it differently, something that we deem to be more important comes up. All the thinkers on promising that I have read came to the same conclusion. We have determined that there is something better has come up. Or to put it differently, we have determined that more good can be done by breaking a promise and doing something else instead. One philosopher put it like this. When we make decisions based upon which action produces the more good, it is hard to see why we wouldn't break a promise if, by doing so, we could accomplish something better. However, if a person in breaking a promise simply says they thought that overall it was best, we would incline to question whether or not that person understood what a promise was. Challenges. Challenges me. There are good reasons, of course. My son has been in a car accident and we're on the way to A&E. I can't come. This morning I received a text, I've got a problem, my mother is ill, I need to go to hospital, I may not be able to serve. God moved miraculously and that person's there. Good reasons. We are stuck in a traffic jam and not moving. We won't be there for five o'clock. These are good reasons. 
The challenge with breaking a promise for a good reason is that the reasons we deem to be good seem to grow and grow to the point where a promise is just cheap. A promise is just cheap. We think the promise was insignificant enough to not take it seriously. So I have to be careful. I'll come around and see you sometime. I made a promise. I made a promise. I made a promise. And for that person, let's make it personal to me. For that person, that could have been the first time their senior pastor said, I'll come around into your home and spend time with you. And if I'd said it flippantly and don't follow through, do we understand the damage that can be done? Is it any different for somebody who doesn't have that title? Challenges me. Where are we? What do you want to be known for? I want to be known as a follower of Jesus. Someone who looks like him. Loyalty, integrity, trustworthy. I want to be known for those things. And I have to work at them. As I said, I don't know if I'm loyal until I have the opportunity not to. I don't know if I'll come until actually something that I deem is better is put on my plate and I decide not to do it anyway. Or are you known as someone who will make that call or worse so, send that text about the hour before the event and say, Something's come up. I'm sure lots of us have been there. Lots of you that I'm around in church that, that run things. I've been in the room when the phone goes three, four times. Text coming, can't come. Don't be that person. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yes, there are good reasons, but I challenge us to push up, push up those good reasons because they get lower and lower and lower. Sometimes, a long time ago, before I came to this church and was ever a leader, I would say yes to something, looking and waiting for an opportunity to back out. My mom would phone me up, I'm not feeling very well. I'll be round, mom. Sorry, my mom's not well. Very long time ago. What do we want to look like? What do we want to be known for? Getting it right. When, when as a community of believers we seek to grow in our promise keeping, it builds trust, loyalty, commitment, security, confidence. We, we do more. We do more. We grow. People come in and go, oh my goodness, you do what you say you're going to do. What was it? We'd love your enemies. I want to be treated. I want to treat others the same way I want to be treated. Actually, sometimes that means when something better comes up, actually that integrity, I'm holding to the promise. Yes, of course, there are exceptions. Don't lower the bar. Don't lower the bar. Don't lower the bar. The the call of a Christian is high. And this is wonderful. We get this right. And do you know what it does for us as a family? All of that and more. I could have gone on. I could have gone on. And I could have gone on. Promise keeping. Vital in a church. Vital in a church. So what are our questions to ponder? What type of promise maker am I? Do I hold it lightly? 
Do I drop it and change the minute and the moment something different comes up, something better comes up? Do I keep to it no matter what, sometimes to my detriment? And I'm sure there are times where my granddad could have actually said, today, it's really important we go out. I'm sure, but you get the point. Yeah, we just open it up and we open it up and we open it up to the point where actually a promise is nothing. Where is my bar for keeping a promise? Am I prepared to miss out on something better to keep what I have said I would do? Is there anything I need to change? If you just sit and think about that, and you see, we have to personalise it to us here because we're in relationship. If we just keep it above, if we just keep it ethereal, we can nod and smile and not seek change. Some of us need help from her Lord. Lord, help me be more like you. Some of us maybe need to think before we commit, but Christ is a promise-making God. We can't just say, right, the best way is now I just won't make any promises (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's not the spirit this morning, yeah? In fact, that will keep me safe. I just will not make any promises. We wouldn't work. It, she actually goes on in a book to say it breaks down the fundamental fabric of what is community, of what is family. But when we seek to press into it, yes, we'll get it wrong. The richness that comes out is untold. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, would we mirror you in being people of our word? Lord Jesus, would we give more weight and consideration to what we say, to what we promise? Lord, help us to raise up the promises that we keep to to a higher level of importance in our lives. Lord Jesus, help us be people that keep our word, people who are of your word, and people who look like you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have a wonderful afternoon. It's going to be a great picnic time. I'm looking forward to it. Andrea. Thank you, Ben. Gosh, that was a very challenging word this morning. Wow, lots to think and ponder on there. Um, Helen and the Coleman family have provided cake for everybody this morning. So um, please enjoy tea and coffee. Remember, there are sign-up desks available. Enjoy your picnic. Enjoy the walks. And we will see you next week. Thank you. God bless.